Good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. Thank you, gentlemen, for leading us tonight. We appreciate it. If you have your Bibles, we're going to hopefully finish out 1 Timothy tonight. I hope so. We only got two verses, so I ought to be able to do this, right? So uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 20 and 21. Guard the faith is what I've titled the, the study tonight. Guard the faith. I think we can fill the time with just that. Guard the faith right there. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble, and uh, we pray for your your blessing on all the activities of the evening. Uh, Thank you for the facility you've given us and the privilege to gather, as I mentioned. So, uh, Lord, uh, bless our study and all the other uh, ministries, Awana youth group that are ongoing. Be with all the leaders. Bless them and encourage them, strengthen them. And uh, we just commit our evening to you now. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, you'll note uh, one more time here as far as uh, the theme here of 1 Timothy is church order. We've worked our way down to the final charge uh, to Timothy. And then uh, note here the key verse of the book is in 3.15. If I'm delayed, I write to you so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, Where is in the house of God? Is it in this building? No. (laughs) Where is it? Right. It's in the context of the fellowship of God's people. I mean, that's when you're in the house. The house is God's people. So it's in that context uh, where you are in fellowship with one another, where you're rubbing shoulders with one another, you're sharing your gifts with one another, uh, how you carry on. Uh, That's really uh, the idea here. So, um, yeah. Uh, Paul begins and ends the little letter here on a tremendous emphasis regarding the danger of false teaching. Uh, the letter begins that way, and it ends that way. And the, con- the concern is uh, in the household of God, how we conduct ourselves. He has really two concerns. He has a concern about uh, godliness, which is a key word in, the, in the, the book. Also, sound doctrine. Sound doctrine and godliness go together. Uh, what you believe relates to how you, what you practice. And so those are, those are the concerns overall that he has. So note, just by way of review here, um, as far as doctrine, uh, 1 Timothy 6, if anyone teaches otherwise, does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. So teaching and godliness. And of course, if you don't do this, you don't know anything, he says. So emphasis on doctrine. And uh, with, in accord, with godliness. And, of course, godliness is a major theme in the book. I give the references here. And uh, God-likeness, Christ-likeness, uh, chapter 4, reject profane old wives' fables, exercise yourself toward godliness. Uh, bodily exercise profits a little. Godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. I mean, it, it's totally profitable for time and eternity. So... Uh, that double emphasis there. Well, that brings us now, uh, just as a general summary of the book, there's a church order, how we are to behave ourselves in the context of the, of the household of God in relationship to uh, doctrine and godliness. But that brings us to the final charge now in uh, chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. And uh, why don't we have somebody read that? All goes together. It's really one sentence. Uh, who wants to read uh, 1 Timothy 6, uh, 20 and 21? Yeah, Jeff.
Okay, thank you so much. All right, uh, he starts out with O Timothy. I mean, this, this is an O Timothy that comes from the depths of his soul. Uh, you know, uh, you can communicate a lot in just that. O Dwight. <laughs> o Timothy. Comes at the end of this letter, all the charges, all the things that have been brought out. Uh, o Timothy. And then uh, Kent uh, has this. Homer Kent says, uh, as Paul comes to the close of his letter, he gives in one sentence a summary of the contents of the entire epistle. Uh, in summary form, in summary form. And uh, so when he says, oh, Timothy, it's, you know, kind of a, a, a deep, uh, comprehensive uh, uh, expression, a passion of the soul. Oh, Timothy, here's what he wants uh, him to, to get. Guard what was committed to your trust. Uh, really, uh, guard what was committed to your trust is three Greek words, just three Greek words, which literally guard the deposit. Literally what it says, guard the deposit. Um, he's really talking about a sacred trust. Guard what was committed to your trust, a sacred trust. Uh, as you think through the letter, what do you think is the sacred trust? Well, it's the truth that's being communicated uh, in the letter. And what kind of things were brought out in the letter? Well, things like gospel truth, uh, things like church truth and how we are to conduct ourselves uh, uh, and so forth. And so he says, you know, this, this is on you, Timothy. Uh, you need to uh, guard, guard this. Uh, the church is a truth center and you are a major leader in the truth center. And so this falls on you. Um, the idea here of uh, guarding this is the idea of a stewardship responsibility. Uh, I want you to go back and think with me about um, the reality uh, who has this responsibility. Leaders of the church have a special responsibility in this regard to, to guard the truth. Uh, so go the leader, so goes the church. That's true. But the whole church has a responsibility as well. We are all in our individual roles responsible for God's truth. It's not just the leaders who are the pillar and ground of the truth, right? No amen on that, but amen. <laughs> it's not just the leaders who are the pillar and ground of the truth, but know it well. It is the church of the living God that is the pillar and ground of the truth. I mean, we all have a responsibility in relationship to the truth. Now, we are key leaders, and we influence the whole body for sure. But we're not the whole package here. As far as we're all truth warriors, we're to be standing for the truth. We all have a responsibility in relationship to the truth. It's committed. It's like God deposited the truth to the church. And if you're a member of that church, you have a, you have a part in this. Uh, you don't say, well, I, I, I can be wishy-washy. I don't have to take a stand. No, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Uh, and, of course, uh, leaders have a special responsibility. He's addressing Timothy. Uh, when he says commit, uh, guard what was committed to your trust, I think especially, you know, there's some emphasis through the book uh, that are stated in terms of faithful saying. Uh, three emphasis I want to bring out here. I note in chapter 1, uh, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Uh, this comes on the heels of an emphasis uh, refuting the legalistic teachers who are teaching the law, but they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, he's emphasizing the gospel of grace. This is, this is faithful. Um, guard this. Uh, Christ came into the world to save sinners. Especially his last part, of whom I am chief. I'm just kidding on that. But... Uh, 
I'm sure he felt that way. Uh, Chapter 3, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. And then he goes on, uh, you know, for the next seven verses following this to lay out the qualifications uh, for an elder. And then uh, chapter 4, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is, which is to come. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. This emphasis on godliness is profitable. So um, if you were to summarize it, uh, as I do here, faithful sayings related to the gospel, related to the good work of an elder, leadership, and godliness is profitable. Uh, In terms of these faithful sayings, there's there's an emphasis in the letter on this. Certainly guard what was committed to your trust involves these three areas of emphasis for sure. Um, So we got gospel truth, we got leadership truth, we got godliness truth. And, of course, there's some overlap there. But uh, note he says, O Timothy, guard. Guard is a, is a strong word. It's the idea of being very vigilant. Uh, it's the idea of protecting. It was used of a prison guard and his responsibility to, to guard something. By the way, in the Roman Empire, uh, how, how serious did the prisoners, uh, the guards of the prisons, need to take uh, their job? Yes. What happened if the prisoner escaped? Well, you would die. I mean, this is how, see, you didn't let up. You weren't kind of, well, I don't mean, so whatever. It wasn't, you were not nonchalant about it. It was, it was very vigilant. My life is on the line here. That's the word that's, that's used here. Uh, as I talk about this, uh, note uh, from the beginning in the be- chapter 1, I urged you, urged you, when I went to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus, you charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. So uh, there is a need for a, a charge here, and that uh, we have to stay on track as far as sound doctrine. seems like there's some that are teaching errant, uh, wrong, especially going to legalism, as he goes on to talk about there. And then here at the end of the book, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, uh, avoid profane idle babblings, contradictions, what is falsely called knowledge. So um, on the front end, on the back end, both uh, emphasizing, hey, watch out for error here. Um, Let's see here. It's like two bookends uh, to to the letter related to false teaching. David Gazik uh, says, Paul had confidence in Timothy and he did trust him. Yet Paul also knew how great the power of seduction is and how high the stakes are. So he warned and warned and warned again. <laughs> and I think that's true. I mean, it just seems like he's hammering this. But I don't think he'd be too careful. He stated Ephesus night and day warning uh, of false teachers that would creep in, even among yourselves, he says. So tremendous, tremendous concern of, of the Apostle Paul concerning uh, false teachers and standing for the truth. Um, this uh, word uh, guard here uh, is actually a banking term. It's, it's the idea of deposit. Uh, to the, the, actually, leave out the word guard, and it, it literally says the deposit. Guard the deposit. And so um, it's the idea of uh, it's given to you for safekeeping. Uh, this is what you do when you deposit something in a bank. You put it there for safekeeping. And uh, that's the idea here. It's been deposited to Timothy for safekeeping. And we have a stewardship responsibility. Uh, A lot of places. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. What God has revealed. 
Uh, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. Uh, it's a huge responsibility. In First Thessalonians, uh, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but as God who tests our hearts. I mean, this message is from God. It's been entrusted to us, and uh, we are accountable as stewards uh, for what we do with it, and uh, we need to safeguard it. Well, apostolic uh, truth is uh, what needs to be guarded here, and that's the idea. Timothy, I want you to be a defender of the faith, a protector of the faith. It's been deposited to you to guard, just like a prisoner, a, a, a guard who's guarding the prisoners and guarding the prison uh, with that kind of vigilance. This is, uh, let's see, who do we have here? Johnson. Is it Alan? I forget which Johnson. I'll come to it. There's a two-part slide here. Um, All too often within a few generations, the Puritan established congregations strayed from the spiritual legacy of their founders, drifting away from the biblical basics such as Bible teaching that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. After a Puritan congregation acquired a number of anti-Trinitarian congregants, otherwise known as Unitarians, that congregation would experience uh, an internal crisis of identity. This led to a theological showdown, formally executed by a congregational vote. A typical outcome would be a church split. This this happened time after time. And then he says this. This is James Johnson. That's who it is. Uh, The biblical Trinitarian minority who lost the church vote would withdraw from the Unitarian majority, start a new Trinitarian church somewhere down the road. When these churches, church divorces, divorces occurred, the Trinitarians would remark, they kept the furniture, but we kept the faith. It's kind of a famous saying in church history. They kept the furniture, but we kept the faith. And that is true. Ultimately, what matters? It's the faith. And that's the emphasis that he's making here with with Timothy here. And I tell you what, we can never let our guard down. I was reading an article today. It's it's, it's really crazy. We know things are bad out here. But uh, this is an article in, uh, actually, this magazine. It says uh, October 21st. I think it's only the 18th today, right? So they kind of get ahead of themselves and they but this is the latest issue of World Magazine. And uh, there's an article here, a mainline slide, the push to accept homosexuality gutted traditional pro- Protestantism. Evangelical churches are headed down the same road. And uh, just let me read a few little excerpts from this to, to show you. We're, we're talking about uh, guarding the faith uh, vigilantly and uh, how important it is. We're talking about a sold-out conference at North Point Community Church. You recognize that North Point Church. That is the church that Andy uh, Stanley founded. And is a pastor. Uh, and uh, at this, uh, North Point held the conference called Unconditional. wonder what that's about. Election? Uh, no. Uh, the, it's about uh, wanting to love and support the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, well... Attendees snapped up every available ticket weeks in advance, even though some cost well over $500. They're marketing this thing. Uh, The event's 14 speakers included Andy Stanley, North Point's uh, founder, senior pastor, as well as two men, Justin Lee and Brian Netzel, who are married to other men. Oh, great lineup of speakers here. Evangelical church, Joe. Uh, Nearly a decade after the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage, church leaders face intensifying pressure to adopt current cultural language and messages about sexuality and gender. 
More pastors are capitulating, nudging evangelicalism down the same road that gutted mainline Protestantism. And that's true. You can see it coming. Uh, Roughly two-thirds of white mainline Protestants now support same-sex marriage. Two-thirds. Mainliners, they're they're all there. Two-thirds of them are there uh, supporting same-sex marriage. Uh, It says uh, non-denominational churches represent the nation's third largest religious group. What's the, what's the largest religious group, do you suppose? Uh, that's second. Southern Baptists are second. Catholics are number one. Catholics are number one, Southern Baptists. And then non-denominational. It's become very popular, especially mega churches. They're all non-denominational. And it says uh, uh, they emphasize individualism and lack theological accountability, making it easier for church leaders to adopt changing cultural messages such as those about sexuality and gender. We've talked about Try to find a doctoral statement uh, with these places. It's, it's almost so general, uh, I mean so general, almost to be meaningless. Well, the article is a four-page article, so it continues on. It says... Uh, uh, gives an example of a, uh, a couple who their, their son turned out to be gay, and so they started a ministry. First they were just appalled by it, but then they came to accept it. And now they've started a, an evangelical ministry uh, to try to bring acceptance uh, for this. And uh, they came to believe it wasn't their son that needed change, it was them. So it talks about the, the metamorphosis that they went through as far as, uh, the, you know, we, we change our mind here. Uh, Our son doesn't need to change. We need to change, which is just an amazing thing. Uh, The McDonald's started a faith-based nonprofit uh, called Embracing the Journey to Build Bridges Between the LGBTQ Plus Individuals, Their Families, and the Church. And, of course, uh, they got chapters of this. Saddleback Church uh, has a chapter. Uh, You know, Saddleback Church. And uh, others. Uh, in 2018, Stanley suggested in a sermon that the Christian faith must be unhitched from the Old Testament at a pastor's conference. Last year, Stanley dismissed the Bible, the Bible's so-called clobber passages uh, that speak directly against homosexuality. We can dismiss those clobber passages. Uh, they're too harsh. They clobber people when we need to be loving them. And we do want to love them. But you see, the problem is, you know what happened with the mainline churches? All of a sudden, everything's love, love, love. No truth. No holiness. Uh, yes, love evangelistically, but we can never compromise the truth. And that's the problem here. We have given up the truth. Um, here's, here's an interesting argument that they're using. Uh, One of the uh, speakers there noted that the church was historically mistaken in using the Bible to condone slavery and anti-Semitism. And uh, so he noted the harm those beliefs caused prompted Christians to reinterpret the Bible to avoid the same mistakes. They're saying, as we had it wrong with slavery and anti-Semitism, and you you mean like Martin Luther was very much into anti-Semitism and Hitler used that for all it was worth and all that. So, you know, the church learned... We can't do that. So we got to go back and we got to consider, we don't want to make that mistake again, right? So we want to take a different track when it comes to this whole issue of homosexuality here. That's where they're going with this. And um, uh, Stanley emphasizes love, but the Bible says love and truth are inextricably linked. Exactly. And then they go on here. Um, Anyway, more and more here. 
evangelical drift always begins with the desire to be compassionate and loving. I think that's true. Uh, and we want to be. I mean, we don't want to leave our first love, for sure. Uh, the desire to reach the lost neighbors and loved ones has become a driving factor for churches adopting false teaching on sexuality and identity. Isn't that interesting? The devil's ways are very pernicious, very sneaky. Our goal is to win people. And how are we going to win them if we drive them away? We don't clobber them. We don't take a strong stand. Let's be loving. Let's be gracious. Don't be sucker punched by the devil. That's what this is about. And so anyway, it was a good article just reminding me as I was studying this today as far as guard. Guard the deposit. Guard the truth that's been committed to you. I mean, one day we're going to show up and give an account to Almighty God, who's the author of truth, and say, well, what did you do with my truth? Yeah, love's a part of that truth. But we share the truth in love. You cannot be so loving you're stupid. And some people are. Frankly, that's what happened to all the main liars. They always give us love, 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 love. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. No, there's some things you can't tolerate because it violates truth. All right, well, uh, that was mid-sentence, right? Yeah, mid-sentence. Uh, guard what was committed to your trust. Uh, that's the uh, positive. Uh, guard the deposit, the sacred deposit of truth that's been committed to you. Uh, guard it. And then uh, we have the negative. Uh, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. So uh, positive, guard it. Negative, stay away uh, from uh, profane and idle babblings. Contradict the truth. Um, the idea of avoiding is to, to turn away from it. Don't, don't allow it to influence you. Don't, don't get into these uh, uh, empty word battles that, that are um, not helpful. Uh, don't, don't give them any credibility in this. Don't, don't engage them like they have some credibility. Many Christian scholars go about to critique a cult or some aberration and often say things like, we can learn some things from this group. Man, I remember always hearing that. Even when I was in Bible class, we can learn something from them. Oh, they're off, but we have things we can learn. Okay, like what? Um, we can learn some things from this group, or they have some things to teach us. I don't know if they just want to be nice or diplomatic, but that is completely contrary to the sense of Paul saying avoid it. Now, that means don't give any space for credence whatsoever. Have nothing to do with these conflicting doctrines. Uh, you don't say, well, you know, let's work out some common ground here. No, uh, you're an heir. <laughs> We're not going to go along with this. Avoid it. Uh, stay away from it. Uh, notice he specifically talks in terms of the profane. Profane is common, unholy, uh, that which is irreverent, and, and idle babblings, literally empty sounds, senseless nothings. And that's what false teachers are about. They ramble on and ramble on. Uh, but notice... Uh, and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Uh, here's where discernment comes in. Uh, they're contradicting. Uh, here's, here's the issue. They're contradicting the truth. We know there was a problem in his mind about Jewish legalism, as we saw in chapter uh, 1. Uh, we noted uh, in chapter 4, too, those who in the latter times will forbid uh, eating of certain foods and marriage. Uh, legalism is an issue that he's dealing with. Also, uh, prosperity gospel teachers who think that uh, godliness is, a, is all about profit. Uh, it's, all, it's a means of gain, as he says in chapter 6, verse 5. 
whatever's contradicting the truth, profane and idle babblings, and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Uh, false teachers always claim to uh, have the inside scoop as far as knowledge. They claim to be in the know. Uh, I've got some insights that you should know about. Even though it kind of goes against the grain here, uh, I just want you know, sometimes they make the most outlandish claims. I remember when Benny Hinn came on uh, TBN one time and said, I want you to know there's nine persons in the Trinity. Well, you would have thought they would have shut the show down right there. I mean, seriously? Has there ever been another person in the whole of church history that has said such a stupid thing as that? I mean, sometimes it's not very subtle. But <laughs> if you're just, it's amazing they get away with this crazy stuff. Uh, falsely called knowledge. They claim it's knowledge, but it's, it's not. They falsely claim it is, but it doesn't really have insight. It's really idle babblings. Isn't it amazing? Idle babblings can be called knowledge. I've got some knowledge. It's really idle babblings, but they call it knowledge. I've got some secret insights for you. Uh, the Gnostics were this way. You know, uh, you know we have secret knowledge. Only the initiates uh, will know the, the secret knowledge that we have. Gnosticism was that idea. Um, deeper knowledge uh, that the initiates would know. The legalists also had their, their, their codes related to the genealogies. Let's get into the genealogy. There's some secret stuff in here. There's some, there's some stuff here that we've got to dig out of the genealogy. Jews were great at spinning this stuff, uh, some of those legalistic Jews. So these are the kind of things that are, are being warned about. Uh, note a few verses here. 1 Timothy 1, 4, uh, nor give heed to fables, genealogies. Again, context of Jewish legalism. Chapter 4, reject old wives' fables. Uh, and then chapter 6, if anyone teaches otherwise, does not consent to wholesome words, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine which accords with godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. Uh, they like to argue. Boy, and, and they doesn't have to make any sense, like he talks about here. Uh, vain babblings, idle babblings, and yet they want to argue like crazy. Sometimes, uh, you know... When plain sense doesn't make good sense, watch out. Uh, they they want to make uh, this, they call it knowledge. They want to make something out. They're, they're con men. You know, con man is the idea of confidence man who can sell you anything because he comes off like he's so sure of himself. That's the way these false teachers come off. Uh, false, falsely called knowledge. That's what they're about. William MacDonald says, uh, these closing verses bring before us the great dangers of so-called intellectualism, rationalism, modernism, liberalism, every other ism which disregards or waters down Christ. Uh, you know, Paul talks about the simplicity that is in Christ, and he was concerned about this with the, the Corinthians. Plain, straightforward sense of, of the truth. It's not that difficult. I mean, yes, it's deep. you got the milk of the word, the meat of the word. That's true. But uh, I really think you have the Holy Spirit. Um, you can get this. I remember my Edward Schellenberg was an old guy. He was an older professor. And us <laughs> freshmen, we were having a hard time getting something. He said, you guys can get this. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess we can get this. We just have to study a little harder. Uh, this is a Paul David uh, trip in uh, Dangerous Calling. I'm convinced that the crisis of pastoral culture often begins in seminary class. Isn't that a sad commentary? It begins with a distant, impersonal, information-based handling of the Word of God. It begins with pastors who in their seminary years become quite comfortable with holding 
uh, God's Word distant from their own hearts. It's an intellectual thing. It begins with classrooms that are academic without being pastoral. It begins with brains becoming more important than hearts. Uh, I think there is, there is that danger. He's, he's right about that. And uh, we, we want to be careful. Uh, let's see here. Understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm, which I'm bringing out that they want to claim knowledge. It's falsely called knowledge, but they claim it's insightful, but they don't really know what they're talking about. Chapter 1, verse 7. If anyone teaches otherwise, he's proud knowing nothing. Paul brings them right down. You really don't know what you're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about, even though they claim it's knowledge. Uh, They claim to have deeper knowledge. And then Homer Kent says, uh, there is no way to refute a myth or a fanatical fabrication. I want you to get that. There's no way to refute it, especially if the proponents themselves are incapable of thinking rationally. (laughs) That's a great point. Don't argue with a person that's not capable of thinking rationally. I mean, it's it's a futile exercise. Uh, Don't even go there. One is in danger of granting such heirs a measure of respectability by considering their schemes and the uninformed may get the notion that their teaching does contain something after all, instead of seeing it for the empty talk which it is. I mean, sometimes the, the wisest, most godly thing you can do is just stay away from it. That's what he's telling Timothy. Stay out of it. Avoid it. Don't, get in, don't engage these people. Just walk away. Now, sometimes you have to, somebody gets a foothold in the church, you have to expose them openly, for sure. We see other scriptures on that as well. But a lot of times, just, just stay away from this. One way uh, we remain faithful to the truth is by avoiding contamination and not having any association with false doctrine or false teachers. Stay away. Uh, they always want to have dialogue. Uh, they, always want to, they always want affirmation and to be recognized as legitimate, as defenders of the truth. We don't want to give them any credibility at all. Sometimes the wisest and most spiritual thing is to stay away. Don't give them any platform of credibility. That's what I think he's telling Timothy here. Don't, don't engage him. Don't, don't, don't even come off like, oh, man, maybe there's another side here. Let's, let's discuss this. No, just stay away. Avoid, avoid this. Don't even engage it. Don't give it any credibility whatsoever. Okay, um, I got a little bit more. Are there any other thoughts before I finish out the text here? Yeah, Vince. Sorry, I want to ask you uh, immediately about the Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting because um, some of those discussions get really complex when you get to the atonement, for example. Um, Spurgeon was a very strong Calvinist. Spurgeon would say uh, the atonement was sufficient for 10,000 worlds. So it's, it's, it's not that it wasn't sufficient. And they would say, you know, 
it is, and they would say, who do you believe it's sufficient for? I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here now. And they would say, well, you too would agree it only applies ultimately to those who become believers. It doesn't apply to others. Right. Yeah, Yeah. in my mind, there is a difference in the sense of theology. I mean, there's, there's a system of theology behind this, Vince, that says Christ died for the elect. And it starts with the presupposition, God is sovereign and he elected. And only the elect will be saved and God knows all things. So it wasn't like in God's mind, well, I'm not sure who's going to be saved. So Jesus died for the elect. There's a whole system of theology related to that. Well, (laughs) the problem is election. Election is not as clear as we might like it to be. There's a few verses on election. Uh, You know, Christ, God knew who was going to be in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 17. They They were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. That had nothing to do with anything that's happening in history. I mean, it was already there in the mind of God. These are the kind of theological discussions that are involved in it. That's why I'm saying, for me, that's a little more complicated than clearly those who practice immorality will not inherit the kingdom, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So I do think, um, even though I think it's a, in my own mind, it's a serious issue, I don't know it's as clear in some ways as immorality is just so clear. Sodom and Gomorrah is so clear. Um, You get into these fine points of these that has been battled out for hundreds and hundreds of years theologically. I am not prepared to say my Calvinist brothers are in the same category of heresy as those that are embracing homosexuality. I'm not there. Uh, I I think there's there's a lot of intricate details behind all that theology. Even though I don't agree with it, I'm not there. Um, yeah, I'm not going to see that in the same category. Kurt? Yeah. Right. Right. And neither would they. No. Right. No, none of us would. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, you know, my answer to that would be, I guess, let's teach the Word of God verse by verse, the whole counsel of God. Uh, there are some of these, these difficult verses uh, related to especially election that are, that are challenging. And, uh, you know, the, the Calvinist, if, and, and I was always taught this, and, and it's true, Calvinists have a God, uh, the, uh, emphasis on the sovereignty of God. Ar- Armenians have an emphasis on, on human responsibility. And where this ends up is Calvinists believe in eternal security, where many Armenians believe you can lose your salvation because it's so man-centered in the sense that... I don't know of a single Calvinist that would say that. Well, I don't know that they. I don't know that they would say you don't know that you're saved unless you persevere. They believe in the perseverance of saints, as I do. They do believe that genuine faith will persevere. But to say, hey, your assurance is tied to that. Well, then nobody could have assurance. Well, the, no, they, they don't say that. I, I don't know of a single Calvinist that would say that honestly. Andrew. Well, amen. I mean, you have this long section in Romans, going to come to it, right? 9, 10, 11, gets to the end of this whole discussion of, of sovereignty and human responsibility, and ends up saying, his ways are past finding out. Uh, I can't completely comprehend this. What does it mean in Jeremiah when he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love? Is it everlasting just so far back? How far is everlasting? I mean, you, it, it, defies, it defies our three-pound brains. Uh, I think that's, I agree. Amen. Okay, well, that's good discussion. <laughs> Clear as mud. <laughs> All right, let's uh, finish out here. Uh, verse uh, 21. Uh, notice he says, By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Uh, grace be with you, amen. Uh, their supposed knowledge, which is false, but they claim it to be knowledge, by professing it, but they profess it. Uh, it contradicts the truth, but they profess it. Uh, notice, uh, and I like to think through the book here. What are we talking about? We're talking about Jewish legalism uh, in, in a big way. Chapter 1, chapter 4, 
you know, and you've got these people who are using it as a means of gain in chapter 6, those kind of uh, things that are emphasized in the book. Um, so some professing it have strayed concerning the faith. Again, this is the same language that we find in, in chapter 1 and verses 6 and 7, uh, from which some have strayed, turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law. So this is where we get the idea of Jewish legalism, understanding neither what they say nor the things they affirm. So they've strayed, they've got into legalism, Jewish legalism. Uh, here at the end we have that same word by professing that some have strayed uh, concerning the faith. Starts out here in the book, I have a feeling he still has this in mind, uh, as well as other things that he's talked about in the book here. Uh, the word strayed literally means to miss the mark. Jewish legalism misses the mark on what? Grace. Uh, legalism is contradictory of, of grace. And that's been a major concern in, in the letter here, in this context here. And so uh, it's interesting here. These have strayed concerning the faith. Are they believers? Well, that's a good question. You know, this is interesting in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, their message will spread like cancer. It's not a good thing. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. You know, Hymenaeus made shipwreck of the faith, as we saw at the end of chapter 1 in, in 1 Timothy. And uh, so he says, uh, uh, maybe it's the same Hymenaeus here, uh, as we saw in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection is already passed, and, and they overthrow the faith of some. So this is a big deal. Uh, again, this idea of straight. But you know what's interesting? He goes on to say, I'll get to you, Albert. But the, next, the very next verse, you know, sometimes it's just kind of hard to know, are people saved or not? And I think we want to, you know, be a little bit careful here because we're not God. Uh, he's the final judge. And he goes, here's what Paul goes on to say. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of, of Christ depart from iniquity. So the Lord knows. Uh, we might not always. These people have strayed. Are they saved or not? Well, the Lord knows uh, those who are his. I've got a little more to say about that. But Albert? Well, I, in this context, you're talking about people teaching things. Well, I think you have to acknowledge that have strayed in this instance. Uh, yes. Well, and they're leading other people astray. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he, in, he's making a general statement here at the end of the book. Guard the deposit. And that's what I'm thinking. It's, it's specific to the false teachers who are the ones who claim to have this knowledge that have strayed from the faith. Yep. Here's my final statement. <laughs> the Lord ultimately knows those who are his. We don't always know. Yet Paul says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The mark of the genuine is to depart from wickedness. In effect, Paul's warning is this. If you are genuine, it should demonstrate itself in turning from wickedness. Those who refuse to do so are questionable at best. Yet it is God alone who makes the final call on everyone. The Lord knows those who are his. So, um, yeah, there are those who absolutely uh, don't know the truth, are destitute of the truth, as he says in verse 5. Uh, but uh, let's see. I've got another. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So let, let's go to this. Uh, concerning the faith. So we are talking about the faith which is the body of apostolic truth that has been given to the church. Ap the faith, apostolic truth. Uh, again, we talk personal faith and the faith. 
Is it possible for a person to have the faith personally, have faith personally, and yet stray from the faith? Well, to some degree, I I think it is possible. Um, Note here, in addressing a group of professing Christians in which false teachers have gotten a hold, there is always a mixture of things. There are false teachers who are not saved. Paul addresses them in chapter 6 as those completely destitute of the truth. They're not there. But then there are those who are confused, being tossed to and fro by deceitful teachers. That's Ephesians 4. He wants them to grow up. Uh, Some stray from the truth because they were never truly saved. Others simply get off track and are not consistent with the truth they down deep really do embrace. So it gets uh, gets to be a little challenging at at some point. Uh, He starts out the letter to Timothy, a true son in the faith. And then he goes on to say the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith from which some have strayed and have turned aside to idle talk. And again, I think if you're strained from sincere faith, you've got to wonder, are these people true believers or not? <laughs> be, be quite uh, questionable. Um, let's see here. 1 Timothy 1.5, someone said this is a, they would say this is the key verse, and it might be, is central to the letter. Everything builds on this. It really is basic to all that defines authentic Christianity. In context, Paul has just charged that no one teach anything that contradicts God's program of grace. The grace rule of God is based on a life-changing faith that issues in a life of love. Uh, Not perfectly, but it colors the whole of our lives. And Paul indicates that love springs forth from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. And so... uh, Okay, um, let's see. i got two more slides here, and then we'll be done here. Uh, this is uh, Stephen Cole. Uh, a few years ago, at the beginning of a seminary course, the professor told the students that they would work together on one major project during the semester. They would move systematically through the New Testament to categorize every area of truth and determine how many times each area is addressed. Their goal was to find what one thing is emphasized more than any other in the New Testament. What do you think they found? What's that? Here's what they found. When they completed the project, they were amazed to see that warning against false doctrine is emphasized more than any other thing, even more than love, unity, and experience. While all Christians must be kind and gracious, even toward those in error, we must not be tolerant of serious doctrinal error. To compromise sound doctrine in favor of love and unity is not love at all. That's Pastor Stephen Cole. So that's interesting. I've heard of this before where, where this assignment was given. And as they studied through it, they said, man, this emphasis is the, the, the number one emphasis in, in the New Testament. Guard the faith. Guard the deposit. It's a big thing. Okay. Uh, Albert, do you have your hand up? No. Okay. All right. Um, note then he says, uh, grace be with you. Uh, he begins his greeting with grace and he ends with grace. We preach the gospel of grace. I mean, grace and contrast of the Jewish legalizers, an appropriate way to, to end the letter. Really, a kind of a prayer wish, desiring God's favor would rest upon them. Well, Paul came to the end of his life. What did he say? Last words, important words, Second Timothy chapter 4. I have fought the good fight, right? I have uh, kept the faith. I finished, well, first he says, I finished the course. I, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is the goal, uh, to keep the faith. I mean, I don't care what else you do. If you don't keep the faith, you don't guard, faithfully guard the deposit, 
I really don't think the Lord is going to say, well done, you did everything so well, but, but my truth, you let go. Nope. You have to guard the deposit, guard the faith. All right, anything else? Okay, very good. Let's uh, share some prayer items here. You have a prayer sheet? Anybody need a prayer sheet?